Hubhopper Originals. To start your podcast for free, log on to studio.hubhopper.com. This is his first ball. Through the gap, on the offside, listen to it. And we're back. After some 2,640 hours, yes, I was counting all this while, we are back with the Cricket News Podcast Season 5, a Hubhopper original. I'm Rahul Pandey, your host, and let me tell you, there's no better time to be a cricket fan than just before a World Cup. The 12th Women's World Cup is just around the corner, and we are going to have a Women's World Cup special season, wherein we will be joined by some of the best voices of our game, conversing and analysing the tournament, conversing around and analysing the tournament. And so, you wouldn't want to miss out on what they have to say. Why don't you hit that follow button from whichever podcast platform you have discovered us or if you have found us on YouTube. Why don't you hit that subscribe button alongside the bell icon so that we can get done with the formalities and I can let you know who was our special guest on this curtain raiser of Season 5 of the Cricket News Podcast. Well, we were joined by one of the go-to voices of our game, former Hyderabad and India A player who is now rocking it while talking the game. We are talking about Ananya Upendran, who joined us in not just previewing the World Cup, but also talking about where the game is in 2022. Big question, big picture stuff. And uh, yeah, so there was an insightful conversation that followed. Most of the insights coming from Ananya. But you can listen to it if you want Well, pretty much every information regarding the World Cup. So yeah, I will, without further ado, leave you with episode one of season five of the Cricket News podcast, previewing World Cup with Ananya Upendra. Hi, ma'am. How are you? And how has the cricket been okay, for you? Okay, first off, please don't call me ma'am. <laughs> I knew you would get rifled by this because, see, I also had a conversation about the fact that I'll be recording a podcast with you, with Mr. Obishik Mukherjee, who you have known. And he specifically was rifled by me calling him sir. So I used the same tactic with you so that we just get it out of the way before the podcast. But yeah, how's, <laughs> how's cricket been for you off late and um, well, it's been good. I mean, most of it has been watching, um, but uh, yeah, uh, there's there's been a lot of exciting cricket to watch. So yeah, looking forward to yeah. what's going to be yeah. a really exciting twelve months. I think definitely, definitely, and it's it's such a nice time for us to come back with the cricket news podcast season five, just ahead of our World Cup. We are, of course, going to preview a lot of things today. Talk about how India looks going into the World Cup. How just the general aura of the tournament looks going, uh, you know, just, just before it starts. Uh, less than four days left now. And uh, let's start with yesterday. I was, of course, looking for a very different question altogether to ask you in the beginning of the podcast. But uh, le- let's just talk about what happened. Uh, you know, uh, I followed the game yesterday. Or if it can be said, I tried to follow the game yesterday. I mean, the official ICC website showed that South Africa had won the game on the final ball. And this was perhaps one hour before the game got over. And when I refreshed the screen, the score would decrease somehow every time I refreshed the screen. So I went from watching the final score, that was South Africa winning, to them being 140 for two. But just refreshing the screen. 
And Google, on the other hand, had shown them batting for more than 52 overs in a one-day match. And this is a World Cup warm-up match, which we are talking about. So there was nothing more that was done from the organizers' side, uh, nothing from the handles of the two social media teams, of, of the social media teams of the two teams who were playing. But you know, to borrow a few words from a recent blog of yours in a completely different context, being still is hard and it should be. When you think about it, it should be easy. After all, it involves doing nothing. But how tough do you think being still was here for ICC, for the two social media handles, for everyone who was trying to report on, not trying to report on the game? Look, I, I think it's probably a case of ICC being still, and which is why there was just so much confusion around the game. They uh, And... I, I think uh, one of the fans did say that maybe this is just ICC's way of kinding, kind of, um, you know, getting people interested in the World Cup. Because even though, you know, yeah. there weren't official, like, scores weren't consistently updated, most of the time they were wrong, there was a lot yeah. of interest around the game. So maybe it was just their way of, of, you know, getting people excited about it. Of course, that's a yeah. very, very positive take and very, very unlikely that it's true. But um, yeah. look, I think... To be honest, having followed women's cricket for such a long time, it's not new. Um, but I was telling someone that it is nice that, you know, people are actually realizing that, that these things happen. I mean, warm-up games, I mean, this, this usually happens, you know, whether it's a bilateral series, whether it's um, in a world... I know it shouldn't happen in a tournament like the World Cup, but most of the time, warm-up game scorecards are generally like a mess. Um, and I think uh -huh. yesterday was was a bigger mess because it was a World Cup, because there was just so much attention. Um, yeah. But yeah, I, I just found the whole thing extremely funny. I think it just made my day. I, I ended up laughing a lot because, like you said, every time you refreshed it, there was something new. I looked at the scorecard, yeah. Mignon Dupree hadn't batted, Marzan Kapp had scored 40, and then like half an hour later, that she had batted, Marzan Kapp had scored 30. Um, you know, yeah. people's overs kept changing. There was just so much happening, but it, it's kind of what it's kind of the norm with women's cricket i think yeah it did get cwc 2022 trending on twitter by the way and it did get a lot of people talking about these things but it it, it was some morning some chaotic morning uh so yeah let's reframe the question that i was asking you originally uh it's of course the journey question last time around we witnessed a one day world cup for me it was a big coming of the age in the sense that I was doing my first internship, I remember, with a media organization, and I remember watching that final. Who can forget watching that final? I remember the whole turnout in the office that day. It was a special, special day, and everyone just was looking forward to this game. And for the most part of it, we were all really positive. My boss asked me to leave at 10 because I had to leave from Noida Sector 62 to go to... Rajendra Place, which was quite far, and uh, the metros stop, stop operating in Delhi by 10.30. So it was on the metro that I realized, yep, that did happen. And But it was, a, it was a good tournament in the sense that there was a lot of anticipation around the women's game. And that was really, even in England, that was really the first time when the entire tournament was experienced in the way that it was. Where do you think cricket has come five years on from that stage to now? Not just in India, but everywhere else. How much do you think the anticipation around this tournament is different from the one in 2017? 
Well, I think, um, you know, just the buildup has been so much bigger. Um, like you said, not just in India, but around the world. And I think that that the postponement of the World Cup has, uh, yes, it's extended that buildup and it's allowed people to tell more different stories. There is just so much interest into, uh, you know, seeing these teams, not just in World Cups now. Now people are interested in those bilateral series in the ICC ODI Championship. And I think that's the big shift. Um, previously, it was global tournament to global tournament where you would see a peak, um, the interest peak. But um, now I think it's it's the, the series in between that are getting a lot of attention, the performances in between, um, and also the performances outside domestic circuit. Those things are getting a lot more attention than they used to. Of course, I think you know there needs to be a lot more visibility, but that's a completely different um, conversation. I think just just the growth in in interest around the world, but especially in India, I think has has been massive and. Um, everyone knows that India is kind of the biggest market that you have to crack. Um, and I think we've somewhat cracked it. Of course, there's plenty of, of headway that we need to make. But um, there is a lot, there are a lot more people talking about women's cricket, which is which is extremely important. And because of that talking, there's more awareness. There are more people who, uh, or more young girls who want to play the game, who see it as a viable career. Um, and, you know, aside from that, if you look at the global game, of course, you know, you look at the pace of play, I think the skill sets, there's there's just so much drastic improvement. Of course, I think 2017, like you said, was a high quality tournament. And of course, that's why people became so interested in it. We, we saw power hitting from the likes of Lizelli, from Harman Kaur. We saw some really good fast bowling, Dhulan Goswami, Shekha Pandey, all these people kind of stepped up, um, and, which is why now I think that, I, I think we're going to just see a level up in 2022. There are going to be much more higher scores, I think, going to be a lot of rapid fast bowling which i'm excited to see and uh, yeah i think the anticipation around this tournament like i said the build-up has just been so extended that it feels like you know there's so much um uh, i guess riding on that opening game between uh new zealand and the west indies talk about build-up that's a nice backdrop back there for this pod recording and we're of course speaking of build-up conclusion tournament so yeah a huge shout out to all the nerd fans who are watching us on this pod. If you're not watching us and purely listening to us, might as well be a good choice to come on YouTube and see where we come from. But yeah, we will, of course, talk about India. A couple of positives there in the game yesterday, which are now confirmed. Uh, Harman Preet Kaur looking good going into the World Cup. Of course, that final ODI against New Zealand, that outing, and she has made more on that. And the rhythm going into the tournament for her now looks good. Uh, Rajeshwari Kohekwa picking up four wickets. And we heard the Indian skipper in the pre-tournament presser say that it was important in terms of the ODI series, that it was important for the spinners to get their line and length sorted. And it was important for them to get them really sort of in that flavor of playing in the New Zealand conditions. Um, and I do think that her performance yesterday sort of was a nice bit of positive uh, after what the captain said. So I did an early dance as well this morning when ICC made it official that Smriti Mandana had been cleared to continue into the World Cup after dealing with a head knock versus South Africa. So yes, talking about positives, there are a lot. But what's your general feeling around this team going into a big tournament? Ooh, uh, it's it's a mixed feeling, um, and I say this 
of course, because of, I mean, so much time has passed since they announced the squad. So I think the immediate emotions, of course, have definitely died down. We've played a big series um, since then. And, and like you said, there are plenty of positives to take from that series. Um, but um, there is just in the back of my mind a slight hesitation around the squad. Um, I'm not sure if that's the right word, but I'm, I'm just unsure of, I feel like a lot, there, there were a lot of things that were exposed through that bilateral series against New Zealand, um, especially with the bowling attack. And like you said, it's good to see the spinners kind of find their rhythm. Um, I think through the through the series through the ODIs, they did get better, um, especially the likes of Deepthi Sharma and and Rajeshwari Gaikwad. I think they just you could see their rhythm um, improve through that series. But I think my general um, feel around the squad is it's not India's strongest. Um, but I think um, the strength or the, the potential in that batting lineup kind of has the ability to cover over a lot of those bowling cracks. Um, so, yeah, that's my initial feel of that, that squad. Yeah, you did talk about the squad announcement, and that was a bit of bummer for all of us, in fact. Uh, the, the, the big two names that were excluded and... Um, just in terms of uh, Jemem Rodriguez and uh, uh, Shikha Pandey being these X-factor players, I believe, uh, you know, you want to go with these kind of players into a tournament. When we talk about Jemema, uh, her performance in the 100, the Big Bash, they were exceptional. And those are the kind of tournaments you would want a player to judge from, right? In terms of batting, when you're with their, the world's best and performing at that stage. You would want that kind of an experience going into a World Cup. But secondly, on bowling, we have seen Jhulan Goswami burden, ha have all the burden of the bowling on her shoulders at times. And it kind of seemed, especially on that last tour of Australia, that Shikha Pandey was taking, you know, quite a lot of it from her shoulders. And then, you know, her exclusion from the squad. How do you think, how badly do you think India are going to miss these two players particularly? Uh, look, I think it's an interesting one. I mean, I, I know a lot of the attention was on Jamima and her form in those those two um, overseas leagues. And um, yes, she. I, I think the, the confidence that she took from those leagues would have been immense. She was batting like a dream. Um, but if, if, like, personally, my opinion is that I... I would have loved to see her in the squad, but I think that omission um, is more understandable for me just based on the skill set of the batting attack, um, batting lineup that we have. I, I, I would have definitely included Jemima in the squad because she is, like you said, that X-factor player. She is an, ex an exceptional batter and has done well in New Zealand. Um, so she knows those conditions. She knows how, how to, um, you know, she knows the opposition as well. So. Um, I would have picked her any day, but that exclusion, I understand just based on her previous ODI returns because we're judging her on, on diff different formats. Um, sure. So again, I, I understand that exclusion. I do not understand Shikha Pandey's exclusion for the reasons that you said. I mean, Julian Goswami has been the whole and soul of that bowling attack for a very long time, but I think since the 2017 World Cup, or say maybe since 2019, I think Shikha Pandey has been our lead or taken a, a chunk of that burden off her and she's probably been the better seamer um and i know that's a big statement to make but 
I think she's yeah. just been extremely consistent and her versatility to be able to bowl with the new ball but also come out and close the innings i think that's a skill she really developed in 2019 2020 we saw that in the t20 world cup as well um so i think just that versatility is something that india is really going to miss um and you know do you just look at her performances over those two years she was in the icc t uh, odi team of the year in 2019 nominated for an arjuna award in 2020 um she comes back i mean she's dropped at the start of 2021 comes into england of course i don't think she bowled very well but i think there was an improvement in the rhythm and we saw her in australia bowl that that exceptional delivery so this is someone who pro- i'm sure would have her confidence would have been shot when she was left out for that home south africa series but you could see that that her rhythm was coming back she was finding that confidence again and i think her exclusion was a huge shock for me because um you take 75 77 i don't know how many wickets she's taken but you're taking those many wickets or that much experience out of the squad and and you're going into the a world cup with a seam attack that has i don't know 13 wickets or something to their credit um which is uh it's it's it means you're putting that much more burden on someone like julian goswami to not only lead the attack but i mean not only take wickets but also make sure she doesn't leak runs um because Yeah. you have another seamer at the back uh, there who's kind of finding her feet in international cricket and all the respect to renuka singh and megna uh, megna singh i think both of them are very experienced domestic bowlers but we've seen that international cricket's a very different game and uh, you know the other thing i was thinking of is i think shikha's exclusion is kind of it's just a pattern in indian cricket where um, we we see seamers just getting thrown aside we've seen that since 2012 you think of niranjana nagra niranjana nagarajan shubhlakshmi sharma you had mansi joshi there for a while yeah. and we just rotate these seamers i think without thought you don't give them a long enough rope and julan goswami has said it herself that you know a lot of the times you need to give seamers especially indian seamers a longer rope because we bowl in conditions yeah. that are not um you know helpful um it it's very very different so i just think it's it's a reflection of how we've treated our seamers over the last 8 to 10 years and uh, i think india are really going to miss her i hope the spinners again paper over those cracks but i think yeah. one thing that did show in that new zealand series was that our death bowling is is wanting and that's probably because the seamers we have picked do not necessarily have those skills to close out an innings yeah yeah as the white ball game has progressed over the years the specific roles have come into play you have a bowler who is more equipped to bowl in death than you know and another one to bowl in the middle overs another one to bowl with the new ball so yeah those those are kind of really specific roles and every team wants players in those positions especially at a big tournament but when we talk about the team i mean we've seen them play in segments over the last few months um uh, the and we've seen them perform really well in good in, in these segments the test in england large larger part of the series in australia including including almost winning against the streak owners i simply find that second odi and those final few minutes still preposterous Ha ah, let's not talk about it too much i'm going to go into the emotional side of things and it's not going to sound good but yeah i mean we we talked about the the last two games india have played including the warm up fixture uh 
it's it's good to have that momentum, that winning momentum ahead of a tournament. Uh, what do you think Indian fans should expect from the team come this World Cup? Oh, that, that's a really difficult question. You're putting me on the spot. Um, I feel like if, if you, I mean, if you, we've watched India over the last year, year and a half, or say last year. Um, I think the thing to expect from them is just unpredictability. You never know which India is going to turn up. Um, because you looked at that team uh, against South Africa and against England, and it just looked like this team was struggling to figure out how to win. Um, especially in the ODI series, it just looked like they didn't know how to win or how to stop the opposition batters. Then they go to Australia and you think they're going to be steamrolled. And then yeah. this new India turns up and they're they're absolutely smashing the Australians. I know they lost that ODI series, but they really yeah. did give them a run for their money after that first Definitely. ODI. Um, so I think the thing to expect from them is unpredictability. We're never sure how they're going to turn up. But again, the thing with this Indian team is they've, they kind of up their game in global tournaments. Um, I know yeah. it's, um, I guess, 2013 was probably the 2013 and 2016 that the home World Cups were probably their worst. Um, but yeah. every time they go overseas to play a global tournament, I think because there's no home media pressure, they're just able to kind of let go. And, and especially with this younger generation, you see um, they kind of have no baggage. Like Madali Raj said, they have no baggage. Yeah. They have absolutely no expectations. They're free and, and they're just able, they have this confidence that I just don't understand, but they have a confidence that, and they back themselves to, to take on anyone. And yeah. I think, um, like I said, I think the batters are probably um, our best bet to progress into the knockouts. Um, I think that group is extremely strong. There's a lot of talent. There are a lot of, I think, individual match winners. Um, and, and we found some new ones as well. So yeah, unpredictability. That's quite the thing to expect. But yes, um, speaking of that, let's, let's, let's sort of segue into other teams as well. Let's talk about who you think are the favorites going into the World Cup. Now, the favorites tag necessarily doesn't have to be on just one team because we know that's not going to be the case, especially this World Cup where every team is going to play the other uh, before the semis. And uh, yeah, let's let's talk about Australia first. Fitting enough, since the last, uh, since the last World Cup have played 33 internationals, have only lost twice. I mean, I remember all the talk around Ponting's Australia. I remember all the talk around Wars Australia. But Medlening and Co. are aiming for nothing less, probably even higher going into this World Cup. They have that sort of an aura around them. Yeah, we are the bullies and we are going to bully each and every team. I just have that feel around this Australian side. On the other hand, I do believe South Africa have done really well since the last World Cup. They've played the most number of ODIs, 43, I guess. They have the win-loss ratio only second to Australia, better than England, better than New Zealand, better than India. And of course, England weren't expected to win the 2017 media as per their uh, media and the talks that were there uh, around that tournament. But right now, look a bit hazed, especially after that Ashes series. So, yes, I will let you talk about the favorites that are in your list and which teams you think are going to give uh, 
a real tough run for the money as far as the trophy is concerned. Yeah, but I think favorites, you, you can't go past Australia. I mean, they are yeah. the team to be, regardless of what Meg Lanning or anyone says about, oh, this is a global tournament and oh, all the teams are equal. Yeah. Um, they're not. Um, Australia, yeah. despite their injuries um, and despite the, the concerns that they've had around that squad, I think the, the way they've progressed since 2017, they are the team to beat. Um, they are going in yeah. Um, and, and if they if they don't win, it's going to be a massive upset, no matter who who wins. I mean, it, 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 it's yeah. just going to be a massive upset. Um, yeah. So, yeah, Australia, number one. I think the others are going to be challengers. Um, so <laughs> South Africa is another team for me. Um, like yeah. you said, they've, they've had an extraordinary time since then. I, and I think they've, they've had their eye on this World Cup for a really, really long time. Um, of course, they've had a, a major... Um, injury with with Dane being ruled out not having that leadership not having just that skill set an attacking spinner yeah. and, and a game-changing batter but I think um over the last say four years they've actually they've really you know figured out how to pay how to cover for those losses um and they've had a lot of they've had a really long practice run of winning without Dane um, they came to India mm. and won without Dane. They went to, yeah. Um, yeah, they, they've beaten teams. They've beaten Pakistan. They've beaten West Indies without Dane. So there is an understanding of how to win without her. And um, I think also they have, and this is probably going to be a big statement and people are probably going to beat me up for it, but I think they have the best pace trial in the tournament. Um, yeah, the, yeah. Kaap, I, I do think that's the general feel around them. Yeah. Yeah, I think Kaap, Ismail, Kaka. Um, as a group are probably the most um, difficult trial that any team is going to come up against. And I feel like Ayabonga Kaka is just this player who flies under the radar. She ambles in, kind of looks really lethargic, like she doesn't care, but she's just such a smart and such an effective bowler. I think she she's someone who kind of gives um, both Ismail and Kaap, who are superstars, this um, the, the ability to just go out there and bowl and bowl the way they want yeah. because they know they've got someone back there who, if things go alright, is going to come back and, and bring everything back into South Africa's control. So that trial for me is going to make that make this tournament for them. They're going to be very, very crucial. Yeah. Of course, they have an excellent opening pair, of course. But, um, and Indians hate those two. But, you know, we don't have Shikha Pandey, so they're probably going to score a ton yeah. of runs against us. Um, and then, like you said, England. Um, I think that Ashes series was probably they they'll think they'll probably want to put it back as a nightmare and say that never happened. You know they are defending champions, so. But um, then they face Australia <laughs> in the first match. <laughs> that's, that's probably a good thing because they get it out of the way at the start. They're not. Oh, it's yeah, not like yeah. sitting in their head and they're sweating about it. Yep. So you know that may yep. just be a good thing. Like it's an extension of the Ashes. Let's yeah. get rid of it and go on. So, um, yeah. yeah, it's probably them as well. But I think the way New Zealand have, have suddenly, I think no one even thought of them in the top four. And then now back to full strength. Um, I think home World Cup, they won their last home World Cup. So who knows? Yep. Yep. Can be exciting. The format itself is going to be such that you talked about England getting that first match out of their way. Teams are going to have a lot more time to get back into, into the swing of things, even if they lose the first couple of games. So, yeah, 
it's it's going to be a close one. Who, by the way, are your dark horses of the tournament? I, I always love asking everyone, no matter who, who, this question, this particular thing. Because before every major tournament, you have teams who sort of seem like mm, they're not going to bother you. But then the tournament begins and they pull off a couple of surprises. And that actually results in a couple of big teams missing out on the knockout stage. Um, yeah. So I think the dark horses thing is, is very interesting because, like you said, this is going to be probably one of the most competitive World Cups we had. And that's because the teams are so evenly matched. And that could be because some teams have had injuries. You know, some are not at full strength. Some have, you know, selection issues. Um, but uh, it, I think to point out a dark horse, I'm not, I feel like it would be unfair to call India and New Zealand dark horses because obviously they're going into the tournament with high expectations. But uh, so I'm calling India a dark horse purely based on what I think their squad strength is. Um, like, um, but again, we've seen them taper over a lot of cracks. So, which teams could cause a surprise? Maybe West Indies. I think um, Stefani Taylor spoke about how Courtney Walsh has come in and, and brought this sense of calm, and and like they they look like a very different West Indies um, from the the side that competed in 2020 and and the first half of 2021. Um, I think this looks like a very different West Indies, and you can see those those big three in, in Matthews, Taylor, and Doughton really stepping up. Um, yeah. And uh, I, they probably could cause um, some issues to these challengers who are trying to get into the semis and maybe knock one yeah. of them out. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm actually okay with you calling India dark horses because the last I saw a blue team going into a major tournament being called as dark horses, it was Italy. Euro 2020. So I am pretty much okay with your assumption here. Thank you so much for it. I will sleep nicely tonight, but I, yeah, I, also, think, uh, let's... I also think, sorry to interrupt, but I also think India do well sure. when they're called dark horses. They usually oh, yeah. like the, the underdog tag because yep. they're not expected to do anything and then they go ahead and, and do something amazing. So yeah. yeah. Yep. Let's hope it works in our favor. Uh, but yes, uh, let's let's now uh, come on to the tournament's structure in itself. Now, this has been bugging me for some time as to how a sport that really thinks of football as its only competitor in terms of global team sports has gone back to the eight-team World Cup in 2022. I mean, how is that possible? Even with the men's World Cup, you know, we've talked about the clear distinction that's there in terms of just the audience, just the way it's received as two separate commodities. Even the men's World Cup in 2019 was a 10-team World Cup. I mean, we know that uh, the ICC has this plan of getting more and more teams acclimatized to T20s first and then probably get them to the higher higher hacks. But it's it's... Do you think a World Cup really has to be an eight-team tournament now in 2022? Yeah, well, look, I think the, the Women's ODI World Cup for a long time has been an eight-team tournament. Um, and I think, you know, I guess this conversation, like you said, has been going around for a really long time about, you know, is it really a World Cup? It doesn't reflect um, the number of teams that are actually playing the sport. Um, and I think within the women's circuit, it's been becoming louder and louder. Um, and, and I think just the farce of the qualifiers that we had made it even louder. Um, the yeah. farce of, of how uh, the teams that, that actually made it in the end were picked. Uh, I think that, that kind of uh, 
annoyed everyone even more. Um, yeah. But yeah, I, I guess it, it it definitely doesn't reflect. Um, it, you, I suppose you, you you can say that it's not really a World Cup per se. Um, yeah. But look, I, I think the opportunity that women's cricket has, um, and I feel like the the issue with with the women's World Cup being as small as it is, is because it's largely based on um, the structure of, of how men's cricket works. And and I have an issue with this. It, it's probably a larger issue. But I feel like a lot of the decisions that we make around women's cricket are based around how men's cricket work, whether that's at, at you know, uh, country level or what's, whether that's at the ICC level. A lot of decisions are based purely on how men's cricket works. And um, I feel like Yes, there is going to be progress, but we're waiting till what twenty twenty six for there to be a twelve team T twenty World Cup. We're waiting till twenty twenty nine for a ten team Women's ODI uh, World Cup. So we'll, we'll, it's going to be very very slow progress. But I feel like uh, women's cricket has an opportunity to expand quicker because the gap that there is between top international teams and you know the the lesser full members and the associates is it's not as much as it is in men's cricket. So in men's cricket, I think yeah. there's a chasm. Um, I know yeah. associate teams have plenty of talent, but they don't have the resources to invest. And they'll have to invest a lot for a longer period of time for, say, yeah. like an Oman to catch up with India. That's going to take a very long time, regardless of the talent True. that they have in their squad, because it, it means that you have to build a bench, you have to build like a grassroots system. There's just so much that yeah. you have to invest in. But with women's cricket, the chasm is not as much as it is there. So um, yeah. Australia have broken away, yes, but you can see South Africa, India kind of making their way up. Um, you can see West Indies making their way up now to India. Sure. Sri Lanka, um, you know, has fallen back, but the, the gaps between these teams, teams is not that much. We saw with Thailand, all it takes is a bit of investment, a bit of time. You, ha you can then create a team that challenges these top nations. And that's all we want. Yeah. We want competitive cricket. We want to give these yeah. teams opportunity. And I think this, the, the associate nations are now realizing that their way into global tournaments is through their women's teams. Um, and the only way we're going to give them incentive to continue investing is by expanding this. And I think yeah. the ICC need to realize that they have a chance to create a pretty competitive World Cup with, say, 12 or 14 or 18 teams, I think even within the next, say, five to seven years, I think it's possible because boards are willing to invest in their women's teams. Um, and now yeah. you have like the Commonwealth Games coming up. So that's incentive for, yeah. for other smaller uh, yeah. associate teams. So I, I think um, my hope is that over the next couple of years that they realize that it's okay to kind of um, change the way we administer women's cricket. It doesn't have to be the way men's cricket is administered. And um, yeah. I, I think that there can be faster progress that way. And, and um, I think the good thing is now, at least there's, there's going to be a 10-team ICC ODI championship from, from, next, um, from the next cycle. So at least that's something positive where you're going to see an yeah. Ireland come in and, and do well, Bangladesh as well. So um, yeah. I think it's just about understanding that there's a possibility to change things much quicker uh, within the women's game yeah yeah and it's tournaments like these where you get those one or two upsets and teams get you know the elevated status and i do believe that's that's an opening that needs to be seen from uh, the administrators and the organizers 
Well, prediction time. We have already put you on the tough spot a lot of times, but this will be fun, I guess. Uh, who do you think is going to be, let me think, the, re- the leading run scorer in, in this World Cup? Oh, God, that's it started with a really tough one. Um, like, I'm going to recency bias, it would be really hard to top Amelia Kerr um, because she's just, she's had an, ex- I mean, an exceptional New Zealand summer. It's not just the series against yeah. India, but domestic cricket, she dominated. Um, but I feel like probably someone like Laura Wilbert. Um, she uh, had yeah. a good run in 2017, but I think she's just expanded her game. Um, yeah. And, you know, is one of the top batters in the world. So I'm going to say um, Laura Wilbert. Sure. Uh, yep. Bowlers will not feel happy if we do not talk about them. So, yes, <laughs> who's picking the most wickets in this World Cup? Hmm. Okay, interesting one. I feel like my reputation means I have to pick a SEMA. Um <laughs> Of course, and I will. I feel like the seamers are probably. It's such a closely knit community, the fast bowling community. I, I sometimes feel they're the most close knit community in cricket. Hey, well, we get no support, so we need to stick by each other. I think that the, the, the wind is kind of changing in India in terms of fast bowlers. Well, that's leading. in the men's cricket. That's so, not in women's cricket. Trust no, no, it, 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 it will. I, I somehow have this feeling that it's kind of changing towards fast bowling now as a whole. Well, I hope I hope that's true. Um, I don't know. Highest wicket taker, I guess, is, is going to be really um, difficult because I feel like this is going to be a, a really high-scoring World Cup. So bowlers are just going to hate it. Um, but um, and it's for that reason I feel like someone like Ayabonga Kaka or Kate Cross, just because of or Megan Shute. I think the three of them, because of their versatility to bowl at different times. Um, and you know these three are probably going to pay, play. I mean, are definitely going to play key roles in their team's um, yeah. campaigns. So I, I'd pick one of Short, Kaka, or Cross. Fantastic. Right then, uh, the final one. Um, where would India finish? <laughs> um, they'd definitely be, be disappointed if they don't um, get into the final. I feel like they've kind of built themselves up in that way where, yeah. you know, uh, you, you just, I guess there's also going to be a lot of goodwill with Mithali Raj, Hulan Goswami, you know, it's kind of the last hurrah in a global yeah. tournament. Um, there's going to be that added, I suppose, sentiment like Sachin Tendulkar had. Um, so, look, I think India finish, I'm going to say semi-final and it will depend on who they play there. I feel like if they face South Africa in a semi-final, then they get knocked out. But if so, they face Australia, they may defeat them. <laughs> true, true. So, yeah. Um, yeah, I think semi-final. Yeah, fantastic. It's been an experience talking cricket with you, Ananya, and I look forward to more of that going ahead in this tournament. And I look forward to the fact that the next time we chat, a certain team wearing blue is doing really well. Let's not name them. Let's let's keep our biases aside. Let's not name them. Thank you so much for joining us. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. It was lots of fun. Always enjoy. Thanks to our audience as well. If you did like, and I'm sure you did like this episode, that's that was our opener for the Cricket News Podcast Season 5. You know the drill. 
like share subscribe hit that bell icon and stay tuned to cricket news thank you इस हब हॉपर ओरिजिनल को सुनने के लिए आपका शुक्रिया अगर आप भी अपना पॉडकास्ट लॉन्च करना चाहते हैं तो हब हॉपर स्टूडियो वेबसाइट पे रजिस्टर करें और एक मिनट के अंदर अंदर अपना खुद का पॉडकास्ट लॉन्च करें यही नहीं स्टूडियो देता है आपको पूरी आजादी कहीं भी कभी भी अपना पॉडकास्ट लॉन्च करने की सिर्फ तीन आसान स्टेप्स में तो साथ में अपना पॉडकास्ट शुरू करने के लिए तैयार जस्ट हॉप ऑन हब हॉपर सिंपली कॉन्टेंट